it's funny um, as leading up this call. So you and I got connected through Chris Blue, who was a guest on this podcast. And one of the things I heard he said is that I feel like I know everyone in Hollywood now because I know Weird Al Yankovic and Joel McHale. So I mean, we are two of the whitest people in Hollywood, <laughs> which is saying a lot. <laughs> so I'm halfway there. I don't know Weird Al yet. You're you are my Hollywood connection. Bam! Let me know what you need. Cocaine, anything you like. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, we have a pretty unique customer story, which comes to us from a talented up-and-coming country music artist by the name of Austin Burke. If you already follow him on TikTok, then you may have seen him even post about it. Got into town. I had a show that night. I needed to get some jeans. Went into Nordstrom Rack. I left. And about an hour and a half later, I was paying for lunch and realized that the cash that I had traveled with was was all missing. And so my heart <laughs> instantly dropped and it just felt like I got, I was sick. I was like, oh, this sucks. But before that, I'm super excited to share my conversation with entertainment omnipresence, Joel McHale. You know, I usually record these conversations from my fancy podcast studio slash office here in downtown Seattle, but this time I actually called our guest Joel McHale from my home on Mercer Island. It's a fitting venue for our conversation because Joel also happens to hail from this very same Seattle suburb. Now, as many of you probably know, Joel has gone on to have a very successful acting career in Hollywood. He's largely known for his sarcastic pop culture commentary on The Soup, or his snarky self-centered character Jeff Winger in the critically acclaimed series Community. But long before his face ever broadcast through the glowing pixels on your television screen, Joel had a childhood that wasn't too far removed from my own. We both played sports through high school and college and happened to know many of the same people. Joel, like me, even went to the University of Washington. Now that may be where the similarities end, but while his college experience was tainted by the unorthodox hazing rituals of the rowing team and a questionable sense of brotherhood at the Theta Chi fraternity, Joel always knew that his real family waited for him on stage. Since the seventh grade, he loved the theater and looked for every opportunity to meet with like-minded adolescent thespians who inspired and challenged each other creatively. Determined to make a career out of his passion, Joel completed a master's in fine arts at the University of Washington and figured that the best place to test out his merits was the entertainment mecca, Los Angeles. And while it took him a few years to get going, Joel is a hustler. Saying yes to everything offered, he's shown up in television shows and movies in nearly every genre, from bit parts and blockbuster films like Spider-Man or starring in the dark romantic comedy Happily to sitcoms like Will and Grace and the sci-fi phenomenon The X-Files. Heck, he was even a game show host at one point. But despite the breadth of his impressive IMDb page, Joel still worries that each job is bound to be his last. Well, Joel... From all of us here on the outside, I think you can relax. It seems like you're doing all right. So let's get into it. 
Hey, so Joel, where are you talking to us from? Are you in LA or where are you? Studio City, baby. All right. I am assuming you're in Medina. No, no I'm on Mercer Island. Oh, look at that. It's hilarious. Uh, my parents live uh, right next to Brook Bay. Oh, I grew up on 58th Street, right next to Groveland Park. We were the first house south of Groveland Park. Uh, did you know the Sandlers? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they lived on. I lived on that street. Great, that's. Freaking... I used to babysit those kids when I was, you know, in high school. Dear God, that what talk about a small world. Fuck. So I mean, like, people have got to be wondering, well, why? Why am I talking to Joel McHale? And that is our connection. We went to Mercer Island. You're younger than I am. And we also were both walk-on players of sports at the University of Washington. I played basketball, and you were a football player. All very true, unless <laughs> you're lying. I'm not lying, although I'm sure I could be exposed because someone could go back and look at the, the roster and look at the team picture, and I'm not in there. That's because when I played, there was a JV team, and I was on the JV team for three years. I didn't even – when did they get rid of JV? Was that in the 50s? <laughs> I'm old. I'm not that old. Um, no. Were you, uh, what's his name, Zara? Quinn Snyder. Quinn and uh, Sh Brian Schwabe. So I used to coach them like in Little Dribblers. Were you ever part of that program? I was not in Little Dribblers. I was in the St. <laughs> Monica's uh, farm system, the CYO. <laughs> but yeah, those were the days when the Mercer Allen gym was about 200 degrees. I don't know how anyone <laughs> didn't just collapse from dehydration. So did you end up playing basketball in high school too? Yeah, football? I was on the basketball team. I didn't play football in high school. I played one year because I was doing so many plays. Uh, much like the ADHD that I suffer from today, I was scattered all over the place on what I wanted to do. Hey, so Joel, I know you obviously from being from Mercer Island and you're on TV a lot, but I mean, the fact that you're an author and an actor and a comedian and a game show host and a dad and all this stuff, I just... You got to be like, seriously, like the busiest guy in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't easy to schedule. I know you're busy. Well, I uh, it's kind of the pace. I, I enjoy it. So uh, I just say yes to everything offered. And but I yeah, I, I like being busy. My family loves it. And so, I, yeah, I was like, well, if I get up on the surfboard and hit that wave, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump off it anytime soon if, if it keeps going until, you know, I get dashed on the rocks and my head gets opened up. But uh, just keep working until you drop dead. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to use this hour as a motivational session. I could use it. That'd be good. Great. OK, so so, Joel, I got to ask you, I mean, you and I came from the same place here and the fact that you've gone and done what you've done and, and all you've accomplished and everything was that like on your mind at any point and as a young person that this is maybe what I can do for a living? No, uh, I knew I liked it a lot. And I did a staged version of It's a Small World, which is the Disney ride. Yes, there was a play <laughs> that, that kids would do, wow. talk about indoctrination early on in public schools of Disney. But uh, my parents even said that I was having such a good time on stage and that they were like, who's this guy? And... Uh, so then in seventh grade, I made a decision. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do because I'm so bad at school. I like this. I'm going to do this until the real job police come and take me away. You know, it's interesting because I, I think about that growing up, um, being really involved with sports and basketball. And, you know, from Mercer Island, there's, I mean, there's that whole system where basketball is really a thing. And, yeah. I mean, I, and I'm tall and everything. So I always identify with, 
I'm a basketball player. I'm curious. I mean, you said literally in the seventh grade, did was part of your personal identity tied up? Like I, I want to be a, I don't know. Did you, an actor or an entertainer? How, how I knew that, that I want to be, yeah, I was like, oh, I should, I want to be an actor. That's what I want to do. And that's what I love. So this friend of mine, Dominic DeLeo, who I went to St. Monica's with, and then I got to know Ethan Sandler in seventh grade. We all were acting together. Ethan was kind of like the king of Mercer Island, and he was working in Seattle all the time. So I kind of glommed onto that and was like, this, this seems like a very good time. And so being in those plays was just, that's how it kind of came together. And Mercer Island has a very good... Uh, ironically, I didn't do any school plays. It was all through Youth Theater Northwest and a couple other outside productions. But um, but it was a very good place to, you know, screw up and learn. And it uh, I, th I think Mercer Island gets a I think any suburb gets a reputation as being, I don't know, creatively sterile. But uh, but it wasn't. There were some really great out there artists and uh really talented people and i i thought well everyone's really good so everyone should go do this for the rest of their lives and i was uh one of a few that did i mean they were like let's go try it yeah it's amazing you say that that there was this whole program and nurturing of of that kind of situation and i, I was completely unaware of that it was the up. little dribblers of <laughs> thespians yeah yeah maybe i took the wrong path maybe i should have like get, been more involved with that but yeah. my daughter's into that she's done a bunch of plays and stuff up there it's good times you maybe yeah, if you got her. into it you could have a few more guitars back there yeah i might be better at the guitar if i had thought just keep buying just keep buying them I was talking about, that. I'm not a collector, I'm a player. So I don't, I feel, it feels really wasteful for me to have guitars I don't play. Not a collector, says the guy with a bunch of vinyl and CDs behind him. Yeah, I, I couldn't bring myself to, here's the question of the day. When you move around, you got to pack up your CDs, do you throw them away? Because I thought maybe someday they'll be like records and, and I'll be really glad I have them. So I've got some CDs here, but I got boxes of them. Yeah, I in, threw mine away. In my basement. The one thing I did throw away was those. But I hoard tons of stuff, so it's I'm not a I'm not a person that was like, oh, I got rid of it, I, I purged, and I feel so much better. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I got a bunch of buddies. That was the big debate: do we get rid of this stuff? I don't know. I got enough room. I have kind of can store them under, underneath the floor here. In my yeah, house. I, no, because if your house burns, stuff. it'll just be a nice small river of plastic. <laughs> be great. It'll be toxic for sure. But hey, if it brings you joy, like that Netflix show says, then great. But if they're just carrying them around everywhere. Because all that music's available and probably I, now has been remastered. It's a good it's a good point. I can't bring myself to get rid of them. They See, have there some you go. kind of That's nostalgic fine. or sentimental value to me, I suppose. Pop in that Color Me Bad CD and do your <laughs> high school or college dance the way you did it. It would be great. Yeah, as, as I'm looking at my alphabetical order, I don't I don't see that in the C section, the Color Me Bad. I don't think I have that. I mean, DJ Easy Rock, whoever you got over there. <laughs> um. So, okay, so you, you had that Mercer Island experience and you played sports. And, and one of the things it says in your Wikipedia page, I'm curious about this, is it says you were recruited for crew. I didn't know crew recruited anybody. Oh, yeah. At the University of Washington. Yeah. I mean, I had a terrible experience and left and be, went to the football team. But uh, Okay, so explain that. So what, what happened? They had the hazing rituals were bananas. And they, I, I think it's because nobody watched their sport. They had to think of things that made them feel more important. So the seniors had their own table, which had a like tiles that went around it and you couldn't step over and there was all these put then the hair pillow where 
If you made the freshman boat, they shaved off your hair and your eyebrows and put it in a pillow. And then there was a huge display case of weird hair pillows, which was, you know, pretty disturbing. If you like a serial killer was living there, then I didn't push a chair in correctly. And then they the entire senior team surrounded me and they hit me. After that, I complained to the coach who did nothing. I think his name was Bob Ernst. Yeah, Bob Ernst. That's right. Yeah, that guy can fuck himself. And uh, I don't have any grudge at all. Uh, (laughs) No. But that guy was like, okay. And I was like, all right, well, we're just going to let this thing go. And I just left. And then I joined the football team because I was in this fraternity for a brief period of time that had a bunch of football players. And uh, I, I did that as a whim. Uh, which was not smart physically because uh, I could have gotten killed. But uh, the hazing was uh, sing a song and win. That was there was no. I mean, it wasn't. It was like they just were so focused on let's win Pac-10 and then let's win the Super Bowl. And that I was like that option uh, B was better. <laughs> sure, football was a hundred times more dangerous, but boy, was it fun. So what was, so how many years did you play? Two, not well, uh, two. And then I booked an acting job and I was like, they conflicted and I was like, this is a sign. This is clearly my priority. And that's when I decided to leave and, you know, do acting as much as I could. Yeah. And it, it and it, you may be aware of this, but it says in your Wikipedia page that yeah, you were, you were in a fraternity, but you hated it. Hated it. And they, and, and the reason why that's on were there, there too. Oh yeah. I was there for one quarter and got out and there was some, I'm still friends with Rody Gadero, uh, who I became friends with before we joined, but he was already in. And some of the guys were really cool but a lot of them were it was they were like we're all brothers and i was like what are we brothers for and i was it was really just racism sexism and alcoholism and uh i shouldn't laugh that's not funny but yeah <laughs> but it, I, it yeah. I was like what are like at least on the football team i'm like what are we doing ah we're all trying to win football games great that is a goal we have and that's what brings us together and this was just like we're going to party more. Uh, but so there was some good. So the pr- reason why it's so pronounced in my Wikipedia, I believe, is because when I first got some notoriety on the soup way back when, Theta Chi, whoever it was, would always at the top of my Wikipedia would change it to Joel McHale as a member of Theta Chi fraternity. It said it. Ah. So because anybody can change Wikipedia, I just in every interview, because that everyone would get my Wikipedia and be like, says you're a member of Theta Chi. And then I would just blast them. Uh, and then they, they stopped doing it. So it worked. <laughs> on, on yeah, for, it says yeah. you're not a fan. That's yeah. For sure. On Twitter, when it first, when that was when Twitter was in its infancy and people were very concerned about it. like, they were like, there was Theta Chi members that would threaten me. <laughs> They'd be like, oh fucking I heard what you saw, you said, fuck you, man. I'm coming in. I was like, it's working. It's working. Did you burn some bridges here? I mean, so like the crew, are the crew guys mad at you and the Theta Chi guys mad at you? Oh, I don't give a shit. Who cares? (laughs) Those guys were fucking assholes. And I think uh, they would agree back then. Many of them were. And but then, you know, like I'm I, I don't know what was going on with a lot of them emotionally. So maybe they had holes to fill that they couldn't get at home or whatever it was. Uh, that, so then I'm like, oh, I kind of feel bad. But uh, 
But, you know, everyone's got something going on. And, you know, the, the one way to do that is to make a small group and, you know, you feel more powerful that way. So I, it, maybe it helped some of them or it just made things way worse. Um, yeah, I don't I these are not bridges that I was concerned about. I, I, well, I don't it, see those crew guys and be like, man, we were going to give you that role in the James Cameron film. But, <laughs> oh, man, you said that thing about the hair pillow. Um, that all upset. I always wanted to live in the sorority because they were clean and they had good food. And the fraternity, and they, they fraternities, too. yeah, were what like they were like city jails. They were so dirty. Ours was at least. It was well, a, a real. Yeah, mess. look at. I I was in the beta house. It was dirty. Yeah, that notoriously. Yes, that probably was. I'd probably do better in that house because no one seemed to give a shit. But maybe maybe they do. I don't know. It doesn't matter now. But uh, for the members of Theta Chi and the crew team out there, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if I Lots was a dick love. back then. And you know what you did. What? So yeah, yeah. it's great. So, I mean, so you got into the acting and it sounds like, I mean, knowing like the, the almost live thing and see a lot of improvisational kind of stuff. Did you, were you actually doing like comedian stand-up stuff at that point? No, no, I didn't do any stand-up. I did all improvised theater. I mean, plays and then improvised theater at Unexpected Productions in the market, uh, which is still there. And uh, they do a thing called Theater Sports, which was created by Keith Johnstone, a fine Canadian man. And he wrote the book uh, literally called Impro. Uh, but it it was famously kind of mapped out a lot of the rules and theater. So he thought that theater could be a sport, like the way that people root for teams. He's like, you should do that. We should do that in theater. And it really did work really well. I, I don't know if people are still doing it. I know they still do it at Unexpected Productions. But uh, yeah, that's where I just lived in the theater there. I just went there every single day and would return to my car and see to what level it was vandalized. <laughs> so do you remember at that time feeling like this is in service of something? Like I, I'm here in Seattle, I'm doing this thing, but you know, ultimately there's probably not the end game available to you in Seattle. Do you feel like I'm going to do this in Seattle and I'm going to somehow parlay that into going to Hollywood or whatever? Uh, I had a plan that, yes, eventually, I, I thought I needed to go to acting school, which I did, which was three really good years of intense training and very good instruction and great people and and all that. And that was that was really a intense, wonderful time where I hopefully got better at acting and then went, I had the choice between New York and LA and I dragged my wife to Los Angeles because that's where I wanted to do movies and television. And that's, you know, that's where the business originated. There's a lot of business in New York, but it all kind of originates out of LA. That's where all the companies are based. So, you know, I'm a guy that sold shoes for a living and certainly nepotism didn't hurt in my career trajectory. So I'm just curious how to, I mean, you got to forge this out of nothing. I mean, this is like the ultimate entrepreneurial story in a way, like you have a vision and a dream of what you want to do and you got to go make it happen. So I'm, how does it work that you end up getting to a place where you ended up being on TV? Well, just like any other business, you know, a lot of people. And if you suck, then you won't be in that business very long. I knew a bunch of actors from Seattle. There was a really great theater called Circle X here that was all Seattle actors. And they took me under their wing and we just began doing, I did plays with them and it was a great community and they were great really took care of you and and we did tons of plays and that was super fun and uh you slowly but surely work your way into it's like i mean 
it took a good five years before, four years before, like we felt comfortable in this city. And you do get to know people in just like any other business, though people know each other and they think of each other for different things. And you, you know, you prove your reputation that you're good at something and or not. So you're there in Hollywood and stuff's happening for you. But did you have like a role model or like an end game you were really pushing towards? Because, again, you've done all these different things in in Hollywood and entertainment. Was there something specific you were aiming for? I had idols, of course. I mean, I thought that, you know, from Mel Brooks to Monty Python to Steve Martin, I had tons of heroes and tons of like, would be great to do that, but I, I still to this day, I can't believe people pay me. So uh, that still thrills me. I, uh, but, um, geez, I just want to work. And if it works out, fuck, great. What actually created uh, the first big break for you there? Well, my friend Jason Burns, who I went to high school with, at that point was a talent manager, an assistant talent manager. And he was like, hey, man, if I see something, let's do it. Let's try and get you in there. I'm like, great. And he got me a an audition for Will and Grace for a few lines. And uh, be, and I lied and said I was 6'7", because they were looking for somebody enormous. <laughs> you would have well, been great. I, I had a friend of mine who, who used to be an agent down there, and she said, really what they're looking for on film is, and for a man, is kind of a short guy with a big head. They yeah. show up better on film. Is that a thing? No. Or did she just That's, make that up? I've never ever in my life had like how what's your head size and ratio to your body? That's how you're gonna get this audition. That no one's ever said that. <laughs> No, yeah, that's, I don't know who your friend is, but she clearly was smoking a lot of weed. Uh, you ne Whenever people tell me like, this is what they're looking for, this is the type that makes it, I was like, Intel, it is all absolutely proven the opposite, which forever and ever have been here when people are like, you know, no one can't make any Westerns, can't ever get a Western funded and then, you know, Yellowstone comes along and then all of a sudden everyone's like, we want to do a Western. I was like, oh, now you want to do a Western because somebody else did it. Like if you had said four years ago, the biggest stars on the planet would be Kevin Costner in a Western and a Korean language murder game show drama. <laughs> you, yeah, those executives would have laughed you out of every office. As soon as silly Hollywood people say this is how it's good. This is how it is. This is how it works. It always does something the opposite. So do you remember have a, having a feeling of this is happening and I'm now in and I feel like I've I've got a path here to to really make something of this. I'm still waiting for it. I don't know. You've done pretty well. I, Let's see. No, I, I, I still have the because the feeling of an, like when you're an actor who doesn't make any money and is out of work, you know, it's like, what am I going to do next? How am I going to get my next job? Even when I began making like Pete Nordstrom money. What am I? I was like, I'm always, I was like, this is probably my last job, which is uh, not a healthy way to live. And my wife will tell you that, but. Um, is it motivating or is it depressing when it's that way? Both. Uh, it's wonderful. Exhilarating, depressing, and motivating all at the same time. No, I, there have been a few times when I was like, oh, you're doing okay. Like when I did the White House Correspondence Dinner, then, you know, Obama was like, good job. And I was like, thanks, man. And then he was like, you should come by the house sometime. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, oh, 
This is different. And then like Robert De Niro hired me to do jokes at a few things that he was being honored at. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect all that. I was like, like being in a movie with Steve Martin or Robin Williams. I was just like, what the fuck? How the fuck did I get here? Uh, yeah, there's been a few. Uh, I'll never. I was at a party in in Toronto where freaking Bill Clinton was there. And Elvis Costello walked up and said, my wife's a fan. <laughs> wow. And I was like, uh, I don't know how ever this ever happened. That stuff, that those were those little peaks. But I spend most of my time in a state of slight anxiety getting ready for the next thing. So, like, I, I'm starting a movie next month. Not this Monday, but next Monday. And so I'll be in a quiet panic about that for until we get on set. And we got a few takes in, then I'll be like, all right, here we are. Let's do it. So it's, that's like getting ready for a, you know, for a big game. Uh, so, uh, if you want to put it into sports terms. So I always want the next thing. It's, it's a mania. You can talk to my, my parents about it, but, uh, yeah. So that's that, yeah. There, so there's been a few moments like that. And then other moments where, you know, you don't get the role you want. You don't get that thing. And you're like, eh, that sucks. I would have loved to have done that. And it's you, if you stay in the game and you're good and you're not too nuts, you're going to work. Why right. not work your ass off? Yeah. So you've, you recently just were filming. It was a television series up in Vancouver. Is that right? Yeah. Plug that one right here in the Nordy Park. See? Our multitude of listeners. Tens of people will hear it. No, I, we stopped doing that. We filmed that from October to uh, January. It is a uh, comedy on Fox, and uh, we premiered three weeks ago. And then we are, we're on Hulu as well. And it's about the people that uh, will come take away a raccoon from your laundry room or uh, somebody that has an illegal ostrich farm. They will shut it down. Uh, so it's it's... I, well, it's called Animal Control, and it's about those people, and it's a workplace comedy, and the animals are pretty great. I mean, it's very unique, and I love all that stuff. I would have been a zoologist if I wasn't an idiot when it came to science, uh, but it's super fun, really good, I mean, remarkably good cast, and it's great to be back in Vancouver, which is one of my, it's one of, it's just one of the best cities on the planet. Well, they've done a really good job, as far as I understand, in terms of cultivating film business there, right? Don't, and they oh, made yeah. it friendly for people to shoot movies there? Oh, they're, they were super smart, unlike Washington. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Canada was the first to go, we're not going to charge you guys any taxes. And that brought everybody. Then the governor, I mean, years later, the governor of Georgia, who is no longer there, made uh, he put in a tax break, but made it a law. So you couldn't you'd have to undo the law to get rid of the tax break. And then AMC and Marvel showed up and the rest is history. So both Vancouver and Toronto and frickin Atlanta, you can't throw a rock in Atlanta without hitting a production. I mean, there's like 70 television shows being shot there right now. In Atlanta? In huh. Atlanta is Hollywood South. And every other state goes, guys, we're going to film movies here. So we're going to set aside $10 million next year. And we'll distribute that among productions. And they'll get a tax break out of it. And then when that money dries up, they have to go back and get more. And so what that... 
the business will never get going in a situation like that because what happens inevitably is that some state council person or he was like, why would we give the fat cat Hollywood people uh, a discount? How dare you? We need. And so it always just stops. And it's so stupid because, I mean, now Atlanta is exploding and billions of dollars have come in. You know, it's interesting man, that mentioned that part about Canada. It actually reminds me about a week ago, I heard from a customer that said, you need to build a store. It was in southern Atlanta because there's this whole kind of production facility there and all these people live there. And, and I kind of looked at the map and I pulled up some stuff and then I said, I don't think there's enough people there. But I think, I mean, I'm naive. I don't, I mean, I don't really know about all the momentum, I think, to your point of what's happening there. And so maybe I need to talk to our real estate guy about looking at that again. Maybe there is an opportunity for more merchant stores in Atlanta. There's so much money pouring into there. You get there now, like a set. Okay. You could buy a huge house for 200 grand there 10 years ago. And that house yeah. is a million bucks now, easily. Uh, so I'm curious, speaking of that. Do, yeah, you do I get Orchard's? a gift or do I get a rack gift certificate out of this? <laughs> you might, that that tip might do it for you. I still, have, you- I still have a Norsport sweatshirt uh, from that. That's I, old. Yes, I bought it in high school and i went you know because you go through your stuff i was like i'm keeping that beautiful blue sweatshirt see it's like me being nostalgic about my cds you're gonna hold on to that Norsport sweatshirt yeah but mine doesn't take up nine and a half boxes <laughs> hey so i'm curious do you have any nordstrom stories you you grew up around here no i've never been in i was a real bon marche guy it was just all frederick <laughs> that's and the end of the interview this is terrible that's, that's it not going well uh yeah so here so my my mom and dad, because Nordstrom's was the first to be like, yeah, we'll take it back. We don't need a receipt. And people are like, what? So here's the two stories. Um, my dad, this is the 80s. He went to go get Sperry Topsiders for his son, Stephen. And they didn't have his size. Uh, and there he was like, we'll call you. Then they called. And then they, he went back to go get them. And they were like, ah, oh, fuck, we accidentally sold them. And he's like, that's okay. Just call me when they're back in. He was like, we got them. And they went back to the store and they just gave it to him. They gave him the wow. shoes. I don't know if that was a good business practice, but. Is this at the Bellevue Square Nordstrom? This what was, was this? downtown Seattle. Downtown. All so right. then I remember, so we gave my grandmother, we went to the Brass Whale and that's Brass Whale. And that was in the eighties when you guys had all the college sweatshirts. Yep. And uh, my, this is like, I'm a kid. So this is, we get, and my grandmother was a slight woman. We bought, she went to University of Nebraska and University of Washington, and we gave her a Nebraska sweatshirt. And we left the tag on because we were like, if you want to return it, then you can go do that. And this is like 1983. So I'm probably 11 or 12. And that, so my grandmother was the most frugal person on the planet. And I will go toe to toe with anybody to prove that. And I can tell you some pretty mentally deranged stories about the way she tried to save money uh but so i am a senior in high school it's 91 eight or ten years later and i am now six four 230 pounds i open up one of my christmas gifts and it's a university of nebraska sweatshirt size small with the tag on and then my, 1984 or something yeah and, it was. and we're like we gave that to you eight years ago, whatever. And she's like, oh, well, you know. And she's held on to it. And I fucking took it back to Nordstrom. Did we take it back? The only time ever where they were like, look, we'll give you store credit. And I'm like, great, great. Thank you. 
So, Joel, I mean, looking back at all these things that you've done and accomplished and you got new things happening all the time, is it what you'd imagine or, or hope for if, we're, if we went back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, that's hard to answer. I didn't have like, and in 2023, I will be hosting a baking show and shooting a movie, you know, like I never. But you seem like a goal oriented guy though. Uh, yeah, but I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, not that way. But I, I was like, I am the goal oriented. It's another sports analogy. If someone's going to give me the ball, I'm going to put it in the hoop. So when I look back, I, boy, I don't think about it that way, but I should, I should look back and go, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I look back now and be like, oh, I've made some really good friends. Thank God. And my wife chooses to still want to be with me, which is remarkable. God bless her. She's very brave. And then, you know, I got these two beautiful sons that somehow uh, want to talk to me. So that's like, you know, that that's unexpected. Uh, like, you know, having kids and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I all I just freaking love working. I love it. So I love I can't believe that somebody is paying me to act or paying me to tell jokes. Still to this day, I'm like, fucking A, this is great. Well, look at it, it's paying off. I mean, I, I noticed that, you know, there's this Mercer Island Hall of Fame thing called the Pathfinder Award. And actually my two brothers and I got it in 2019. I just was looking on the list. You got it in 2018. So there you go. There you, you go. You've made it. I got the Pathfinder Award. I got that weird orb that could kill <laughs> a person too. if they got hit with it. <laughs> Well, look at anyway. I, I'm glad I got to meet you and, and learn a little bit more about you. And you're you're really nice to do this. Uh, I just really appreciate it. I really am. Wait, uh, <laughs> no, thank you, Pete. I look forward to uh, lunch at the uh, the Nordstrom. Rat, what do they call it? The the, the uh, sports. Well, I don't know whatever it's called. <laughs> well, we have a couple restaurants. I'll tell you, what, I'll come down. Um, you're probably closest to our sort of the Grove, right? Oh, no, I go to Seattle all the time. We go to okay, well, my, my parents live on Mercer Island and, and then we go on Vashon a lot. But my well, son I and I meet, go down. I can meet you the Roanoke for a beer or like you said, I you know, rather than maybe give you the rack gift card, I'll take you to lunch at any of our fine See? eating establishments. Yeah, I'm already getting free stuff. That's how That's I do right. it. Yeah, so you said somewhere you got free shoes from, like you figured out how to get free shoes. What was that about? Did you get free shoes from Oh, something? I always, I keep all my wardrobe if I like it. Is that right? Yeah, that's usually in my contract. I'm like, yeah, I get the I get the wardrobe. Do me a favor, tell your wardrobe people, start shopping at Nordstrom more. That'd be good for us. They do. Okay. They absolutely do. Is that because they can return it if it doesn't get Well, they can or? return it if they're not used, but I'm a size 14, which, you know, Nordstrom's oh, has a lot of. All right. All right, Joel, you're the best. Thanks so much for doing this. Right on. All right, uh, go uh, go Seahawks, go Mariners, go Storm, go Kraken, go uh, who else? Uh, Sonics, uh, yeah. and of course Sounders. So yeah. Huskies. Go Huskies. Islanders. And fuck the Cougs. All right. <laughs> All right. See you, Joel. Thanks so much. Thank you. Right, now we're going to switch gears and talk with a talented up-and-coming country music artist by the name of Austin Burke. But it's not actually Austin's music that brings him to the Nordy Pod. He's here as a customer to share a story which took place at our rack store in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
The experience moved him so much that he pulled out his phone and started recording as it was happening. He then posted the video for his nearly 1 million followers on social media. It got shared around enough that we eventually caught wind and we loved the story so much that we called him up and the Norse employees who made Austin's visit so memorable. But before we talk to them, let's listen to the post that Austin shared out. So if this doesn't restore your faith in humanity, I don't know what will. I was here at Nordstrom Rack. I was in the dressing room and a large amount of money, a lot of money. I don't normally have this much cash. Fell out in the dressing room. I called and they have it. Hey, my name is Austin. I left some money in the dressing room and somebody turned it in. I just called and I said okay. it was like in the safe. Gotcha. Okay, let me run back there and grab it. Uh, you spoke again earlier. Yes, yes. I cannot thank y'all enough. Seriously. Yeah, it, Bo in the men's meeting room brought it up front. He said, "Hey, somebody's gonna be looking for this." I, I you guys are good people. I oh, can't thank you enough. We tried to. Austin Burke. Yes, yes, yeah. And can I can I leave coming. money for whoever found it? We don't you take tips. You really can't. We never do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it, a company policy. You can take the survey. You can contact corporate. Yeah, corporate I, I will. I will. One hundred percent. Those who, are the who, things. Who, who was it? What was his name? Bo, Bo in the fitting room, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. And what's your name? My name's Debbie. I'll write them down for you. That yeah, way please, you have them. Never know if it's somebody's bill money. Yeah. I cannot show. thank you enough. Appreciate Seriously, you. Like, seriously, please thank them. You got Unbelievable. It. You guys are awesome. Nordstrom Drag in Scottsdale. I have no words. Thank you so much. I'm just so grateful. Appreciate y'all. So as the listeners know, every two weeks we have new episodes and we ask for, does anyone have any stories or experience of things that have happened? And we've had a lot of things come through that way. But it's also true, as I just do my day-to-day job, that stuff comes across my computer or I get calls. or, And I want to share a story here. I, I can't remember. I think one of our folks from the Rack Division sent this to me. They said, you got to see this story that a customer posted I believe on Instagram about an experience I had in the rack, in the rack. So I've got Austin Burke, who's created this story. So Austin, thanks for for being on the show. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about the story. So you were at one of our rack locations in Scottsdale. So why don't you pick it up from there? Yeah. So I'm I'm a fifth generation native of Arizona. I'm, I've been going to this Nordstrom rack for since I was probably five or six years old and it's, you know, about a mile from my house, my, my hometown house. And so I flew from Nashville to, to Scottsdale and got into town. I had a show. I'm a country singer. So I had a show that night and uh, I needed to get some jeans and a flannel and went into Nordstrom rack, tried on the jeans. They fit. I bought them. I left. Uh, and about an hour, hour and a half later, I was paying for lunch and realized that the cash that I had traveled with was, was all missing. And so my heart <laughs> instantly dropped and it just felt like I got, I was sick. I was like, Oh, this sucks. It was one of those things where I kind of thought the money was gone. Then I was like, let me just last ditch effort call Nordstrom rack and see. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> hey, you two. So what are your, what are your names? I'm Debbie Valencia. I'm Bo. Is that Debbie and Bo? Okay. 
So we are going to follow up with uh, two of our excellent employees, the Scottsdale Rack, and that's Debbie and Bo. Thanks for being on the Nordy Pod. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Why don't you just pick it up, however the story happened from your guys' perspective, that, you know, here's this customer that uh, inadvertently somehow lost some money in the dress room, and then I guess he, he called you guys up and said, hey, I think I lost this, or what? Take it from there. Yeah, well, um, it was a very busy day, actually. That's what I remember. Uh, busy enough where you don't remember all the particulars, but I do remember just walking around, putting, you know, merchandise away. And I just noticed this uh, money, which it looked like a dollar bill, actually, (laughs) from where I was standing. But at the same time, this gentleman is also looking down and uh, he looked around and uh, he looked at me and he goes, Somebody may need this. This other customer finds the money and then gives it to you? Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like that guy was kind of a hero of this story, too. We should probably interview him. But that, what a nice customer. So what happened? He, he gave you the money. I, I said, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I thanked him, you know, many times. And uh, now I'm going, uh, okay, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> How much money was it exactly that you guys found on the floor there? Uh, it was a lot of money. It's about $600. Okay. So he stored pages or pages me on our walkies. And I meet him by ESA, which is our employee service area in the back of the store. And he's got a handful of money in his hand. And I'm looking at him and he's like, we just found this in the fitting room. So I'm like, okay, so we'll put it in the safe. Somebody's going to have to call. I'm sure somebody's missing their money. I called the location and, and they, of course, you know, when you call about something like that, I, they said, how much money was it? And I had to confirm that it was, it was the right amount. And, and then when they said that they had the money, I was literally, I, w- I mean, I was with my sister. I was jumping up and down, like no way, <laughs> there is no way. So I obviously rushed over there and, and I, that's when I that's when I got the idea. I should probably document this because I just was kind of in disbelief that they had even found the money. After that, I would say probably within the hour, he was up front and unbeknownst to me, filming <laughs> the whole situation where he lets me know it's him, how much it was. So we gave it to him. And then on top of that, I tried to give them a percentage of the money or just give them something to thank them. And they said, absolutely not. Yeah, we don't take tips at Nordstrom. We take compliments and we sign you up on parts though. <laughs> I mean, the only thing they wanted was for me to um, <laughs> to write a review. And I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to go a little farther than that. So, you know, so I got to add to this. So it's one thing that you did this and you, you blasted it out, but you're actually a guy that has people that follow you. So Austin is a six successful singer-songwriter that performs largely country music, tours around. If you go and look at him on Spotify or you go to YouTube, there's a lot there. And so I'm guessing when you blast this thing out, how many people follow you? How many people probably saw that video that you blasted out there? Um, I almost have a million followers on TikTok and (laughs) like 110,000 on Instagram. But I mean, it was just the response was really cool because there's so much negative news in the world today. I think people love a good story. They love when people do good. I did see the post that he placed on there on TikTok, actually. That's where I saw it because that's where they had told me it was my assistant 
they had told me, hey, did you know you're famous? And I'm like, no way. What What are you talking about? <laughs> it was just so special that they cared. And it wasn't it wasn't even like one person. Yes, that that guy that found the money, he brought it to the manager, put it in safe. But it was every single person I encountered at Nordstrom Rack. Like everybody did the right thing. And there one person does the wrong thing in that situation. My money's gone. And every single person did the right thing. And that was just that blew my mind. So here, maybe the moral to this story is if if you're going to lose money in a certain store, you might as well do it at the Scottsdale Rack because Bo and <laughs> Debbie know what to do and they are going to find it and you're going to get it back. So, look, I, I mean, maybe everyone would just presumes this is the way it would go. But, you know, it's simple acts like that that are really grounded in just genuine human kindness that makes such a big difference for people. So again, you guys have added to the reputation of Nordstrom. And again, I just thank you so much for for doing a great job on behalf of our customers. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to really take care of a customer. So we were happy to do so. Absolutely. It's a good feeling, you know, when you do it. It's just, it's a great feeling. So, Austin, we'll let you um, tell a little bit about your career and what you do here. Because I said, I... When I saw this, then someone said, well, you know, he's a singer songwriter. I'm like, really? So, I, you know, you can find all this stuff out just by poking around the Internet. So tell us a little bit about uh, your career and what you're working on there. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a country singer. I've, I've just been a fan of country music for since I can remember. And so packed up. It's funny. Six hundred fifty dollars. Packed it up in my car. It's and your magic number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the packed perfect it amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, I moved to Nashville and I just started working at this restaurant called The Palm. What I didn't know, it was sort of the hub for all the music executives. And they would go and they'd have their lunch there, dinners there. I met a guy named John Marks who I became friends with and he was the head of Spotify Country. And I, sh- I said, hey, I-, I got this song. Would you listen to it? And he goes, hell yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put this on my playlist. And I was like, all right, cool. Like your, you know, personal playlist. And he ended up putting it on, on hot country, which is the number one country playlist in the world and just changed my life. Really. That's incredible. I'm super impressed. I mean, that, you. you know, as a guy that's, that's recorded a lot of music, put a lot of stuff out there. I mean, you know, it's, it's competitive. There's because people have a lot of choices, right. And um, that you were able to get yourself out there and break through in some ways is, is super impressive. So I want to say congratulations to you. That is great. Well, thank you. And you know, I, I had to tell you this, I have a pair of shorts that I bought in the fifth grade but I still have them to this day and still wear them. And I bought them at that Nordstrom rack. <laughs> did you grow much since the fifth grade? Cause I'm, I'm trying to think, how are you fitting into whatever you had in the they, fifth grade? I haven't grown much. No, they, they, <laughs> they were, I don't understand. I still don't understand. I mean, obviously the style was a bit bigger back then, you know, you, you had the baggy stuff, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been, yeah, a long time. That's amazing. All right. Well, look at us and you, you're super thoughtful to share that story about that good experience you had. And, I, you know, it's cool for the company at one level to have that out there that that obviously helps reinforce the reputation. But I think is really great about it, though. It's the appreciation and recognition of those actual people. It's a good opportunity for the managers in that store to recognize their team, their people. And I know that happened as a result of you sharing that story with us and with people out there. So thanks for giving us the opportunity to um, you know, give our people some kudos for a job well done. Absolutely. And I just want to thank 
every person that was working that day for doing the right thing. And especially, you know, they say it's, it's who you are when nobody's looking that, that makes who you are. And that, that happened that day. And so I'm very grateful for the culture that you have created for uh, your employees and, and everybody that was working that day. I just want to thank him from the bottom of my heart. I'm a little in over my head, but I can't hold back no more. I'm a little bit scared to death because I ain't been here before. Yeah, I'm a little bit unsure what the hell I'm supposed to do. But I'm a whole lot in love with you. I'm a whole lot in love with you. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey, and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to nordstrom.com slash nordypodcasts where you can listen to episodes, see upcoming guests, and learn about how to get involved. We really want to hear about your experience with Nordstrom. So if you have a story about how you received great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can give us a call and leave a voicemail, and you just might hear your voice on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy. Drop us a line and be part of the Nordy Pod. And something you might not know, something we just added, we now have a Nordy Pod Instagram page. So please go to Instagram, check that out, follow us, and share it out with your friends so more people can learn about the Nordy Pod. And make sure to tune in next time when we shine a light on an interesting segment of the business that many of you probably don't even know exists. It's called Last Chance. Do you both come every single morning? Wait, if my husband hears this, no, I don't come every day. (laughs) What's one of the very best items you've ever found? Like, best gifts ever? My stand-up paddleboard. Stand-up paddleboard? Yes, and a snowboard. You got a snowboard I've got a snowboard here. And then we're looking at a ring. Yes, and it's one of my most coveted pieces that I would never be able to afford retail, but thanks to Last Chance, I was able to get it at a great discount. Even tell my husband when I die, you go to Last Chance, like you do my ashes, so nobody sees you, and then you go like this, and you put me over there, and I'm done. The Last Chance stores are definitely a radical departure from how most people view Nordstrom, with what's essentially a thrift store containing all the unsold, runoff merchandise from the Nordstrom Line stores, The deals are so good that there's actually a pretty strict rule structure to make sure the shopping experience is fair and safe for everyone. You're not going to want to miss this one, especially if you live in Chicago or Phoenix areas, because that's the only place where these stores exist. So join us next time on The Dirty Pod.